0: Is, is now, to live for God. I mean, we, we often have a tendency to look to the past and dwell on the past, but, and, and we have a tendency to forget that today is the day the Lord has made. This is the appointed time to live for God. And, and we should look to live for Him now and make much of Him now. That's a great, great song. Have you ever heard someone say, you're working yourself to death how many of you ever heard that phrase or used that phrase working yourself to death well the Japanese take this seriously so much so that they've actually given it a name they call it kuroshi, and it literally means death by work and this is actually a problem in Japan, so much so that the government, they first recognized this issue in 1987, when the Health Ministry of Japan started tracking cases of healthy young men and women, some in their 20s, who uh, dropped dead from heart attacks and strokes, apparently caused by excessive work. Listen to these stories. In January of 2006, a senior employee of Toyota died at 45 years of age as a result of overwork. As a senior engineer, he had been working more than 80 hours of overtime a month and regularly worked nights and weekends, according to his family. In October of 2007, a McDonald's store manager in Japan died of a brain hemorrhage caused by being worked too much. This 41-year-old woman had worked more than 80 hours of overtime for the past, uh, per month for the past six months before she collapsed during a McDonald's training program. Wow. Death by work. I know what some of you are thinking. Graham, that's, that's crazy. That did not make any sense. I mean, working someone that much, that's ridiculous. And I agree with you. But let's be honest, though our conditions aren't this extreme, how many health problems do we have in our country that come as a result of being worked too much, from working ourselves too much? Quite a few, wouldn't you think? I mean, we are so driven in our jobs, we are bending over backwards, putting our bodies through the ringer day in and day out just to get ahead, just to make a little bit more money. Some of you in here probably feel as if years have been taken off your life because of how hard you work and because of the continued stress that comes with your job. And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, why? Why are we working ourselves so hard? And there's probably a lot of different reasons, isn't there? I mean, for some of you, you may be saying, well, for me, I do it just to keep my job. I mean, there's a lot of young men and women coming up who are willing to do what I'm doing for much less than what I'm being paid for. So I've got to work twice as hard just to stay up, just to keep my job. Some of you would say, I just, I just enjoy the feeling of being productive. I just like Work, it gives me a sense of purpose in life, so I work hard. Others of you, if you were honest, like we talked about a few weeks ago, you're working as a form of escape. You're putting in long hours at the office to avoid troubles at home with your spouse and with your kids. And many of us in here would probably agree that the reason to work hard is to to make more money, just to move up the corporate ladder. We're just working ourselves so hard, and it can come as a result of all sorts of motivations, can it? And some of them are not necessarily so pure. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes 4, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 16 this morning we're continuing our series in Ecclesiastes entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. And like we've learned already in this book, this book is extremely practical, isn't it? It's just, it's all about life from day to day, and it's extremely practical. It's amazing. It was written 3,000 years ago because it speaks to us today, doesn't it? And this text this morning is no different. This morning, Solomon is going to help us make sense of the daily nine to five. He's going to give us advice this morning for how we are to approach our work. Here's the first principle to making sense of the nine to five. Number one, find a balance between work and rest. Look at verse four to verse six. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. In these verses, Solomon explains here that all people are basically in one of three categories when it comes to work. First, you have the workaholic. Second, the lazy bum. And third, the balanced man. And in this passage of Scripture, he makes the point that the first two extremes are to be avoided at all costs. First, he talks about the workaholic. Look at verse 4 again. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after win. Now, don't misunderstand Solomon here. Solomon doesn't have any problem with hard work, does he? I mean, he was a hard worker. If anybody worked hard, it was Solomon. That's not what he's taking issue with. What he's taking issue with is those who are addicted to work, who are driven so hard, and they're driven, what, what drives them is jealous, rivalry, and envy. This is Solomon's point here. There are many in the workplace who are working themselves to death, and they're doing it because of rivalry and envy. Just a desire to beat the next guy or girl. A fierce determination to win at all costs, doing whatever it takes to get to the top. There's an old story the Jewish rabbis used to tell that illustrates Solomon's point here, and it's a story of a shoekeeper. And this shoekeeper had a had a rival shoekeeper right across the way, and they had just an intense rivalry going on. And it got so intense that one day an angel comes down and intervenes, and he says to the shoekeeper, "Because of your attitude, I've decided to give you whatever you ask from me." But he said also, because of your behavior, I'm going to give twice as much to your rival across the street. So the man thought long and hard, and then he says, I've got it. Strike me blind in one eye. Wow. That's harsh, isn't it? But you know what? That's business. We have this saying in our world, it's not personal, it's business. But man, it sure does seem like it's the other way around a lot of the time, doesn't it? Seems like a lot of the time it's, it's personal and it's not business. This dog-eat-dog mentality in the corporate world is, is just common, and that's what Solomon's speaking against here. There are some in business who don't just want to win. They don't just want to make more money. They want to cripple their opponent. They rejoice when companies close down and jobs are lost. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't have any problem with competition in business. In fact, it can be a really good thing, can't it? It can benefit the employer, the employees, the consumer. But what I have a problem with and what Solomon has a problem with and what should be our problem here is those who are working themselves to death just to defeat the next guy, just to see the next person fail. This desire to win because of envy and rivalry. You know what studies show? Studies show that's what our primary problem is in the workplace. Studies say that 9 out of 10 workers struggle with what's called professional envy. 90% of people in the workplace struggle with envy. And when I was working to uh, put myself through seminary, I saw this a lot. Now, I wasn't as affected as much by this. I mean, I was just trying to get through school. But, uh, But I did witness this a lot. And you probably witnessed this too in your work, in your place of work. You ever heard someone say this? I can't believe that person makes the money they make when I do twice as much work as them. Some toes are getting sore maybe. Maybe you've said this before. See, the issue is not with the position. It's not with the salary. It's with the person in that position and making that salary. And this desire to just beat the next person, do whatever it takes just to get ahead, this is what drives many people to work as hard as they do. Solomon says, being a workaholic, being driven by rivalry and envy, it's vanity, it's aimless, it's futile. And here's the reason why. There's always going to be somebody ahead of you. There's always going to be somebody with a better job position, making more money. And, and even if you get to the top, the grass is greener on the other side. Remember I shared a quote with you about the, from the automobile king uh, Henry Ford. Remember what he said when he was at the top? He said, I was happier doing a mechanic's job. Here you have a guy that has everything anybody could ever want in the way of wealth, envious of his mechanics. Solomon says that's vanity. So there's this competitive nature in all of us. that pushes us to get ahead and to outdo the next person which leads many of us to become workaholics and Solomon says that road it doesn't lead to happiness instead it leads to bitterness and hate and just a greater frustration now some people say those silly workaholics they're overworked and underpaid for for nothing I'm just gonna drop out altogether I just want to relax, forget the competition. I'm just going to kick back. Well, Solomon has a word for these people as well. Look at verse 5. Solomon says, The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Here Solomon describes another unhealthy extreme as one labors under the sun. He says, The lazy person is every bit as out of control and unbalanced as the workaholic. He says the fool folds his hands. The folding of the hands is a sign of inactivity. And this hits close to home to, uh, to me. For those of y'all that don't know, our oldest, <clears throat> Ava Grace, she is a strong-willed little girl. She is. That's putting it lightly. And at times, we'll tell her to do something, and you know what? She will sit in the floor and fold her hands and just shake her head pray for us. (laughs) And she'll get in trouble for it. but, but, But she's saying here, when doing this, I'm not doing anything. And that's Solomon's point here. The fool folds his hand, not doing anything. He also says the lazy person is the one who eats his own flesh. Now, what in the world is Solomon talking about here? Well, he's being extremely sarcastic. This is his point. He says the lazy bum who has his hands folded does not get to enjoy the the fruits from labor. It's like what Paul says in Thessalonians. If you don't work, you don't eat. Therefore, he's left to eat nothing but his own flesh. That's what Solomon's saying there. He doesn't get to enjoy the fruit of his labor. So both extremes, Solomon says, are wrong. Those who are Working themselves to death because of rivalry and envy, that's wrong. The lazy bum with his hands folded, that's wrong. Solomon says we have to be balanced, and he gives us a proper balance in verse 6. He says, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after win. Basically what Solomon's saying here is this. You and I, we need to have a two-handed life. We need to live a double-fisted life. On one hand, we need work. On the other hand, we need rest. Work and rest. That's the proper balance. Man, that sounds easy enough, doesn't it? It sounds pretty easy. Work and rest. I got it. Here's the problem. There's very few of us that are doing this. Am I right? We have some in here. Your life is filled with all work and no rest. You're tired. You're weary and your health is declining because of the fact that you're putting in so much work. And then there's others of you in here. You're kicking back. I picture you with uh, enjoying the sunshine and flip-flops out on the back porch just enjoying life. You are, your, your life is, is filled with all rest and no work. In other words, you're lazy. And Solomon says, both are wrong. Both lead to misery. You see, God has set up this rhythm between work and rest within creation, and He intends for all of us to be doing just that. Working hard is a good thing. It is. Work existed before the fall, And it's going to exist long after this life is over. Work is a good thing. But so is rest. Which means that if you work hard, you should take a day off. Take a day or two off just to enjoy what God has provided. You need to take a day or two and enjoy with your family, with your friends, with your church. You need to take a nap, watch a ball game, go for a walk, grab a good book, grab a movie. Rest. You need that balance. Did God not example this for us in creation? Remember that? Six days he worked. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. Rest is frowned upon in our culture, isn't it? It really is. This attitude in the workplace is, if you want to get ahead in life, You better be willing to put in long hours, working nights and weekends, if necessary, if you care about your job. Rest is frowned upon. Any of y'all ever feel bad for lounging around on a Saturday? It's like, man, I just haven't done anything today. You feel guilty about it. Anybody ever stop by and you're sitting in the clothes you wore the night before with bedhead? You ever have that happen to you and you just feel awful? Like, I can't believe they're going to think I don't do anything. Listen, it's okay. It's okay to relax. Now, we don't need to be lounging around all the time. But we also don't need to fill every second of our day with work. We need to be balanced. We need to be balanced. Solomon says we need to be living a two-handed life. What that means is, on the one hand, you have work. On the other hand, you have rest. You don't need to be grabbing 80 hours of work a week with both hands, but instead, 40 with one hand, and on the other, your family, going out and enjoying a night with them. You need to be grabbing a full week's worth of work, and with the other hand, a good book or a good movie, just to enjoy, just to relax. You need to have work and rest. We need a balance between these two. So find a balance between work and rest. Second principle, choose relationships over riches. In verse 7 and 8, Solomon shares with us a parable, and it's powerful. You're not going to believe this was written 3,000 years ago because it speaks to our culture today as clear as any. Listen to this. Verse 7, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. In, in, In these verses, Solomon puts his finger on a common problem for many of us today in our work. He's talking about the person who devotes all his time to his profession and has no time for people or relationships. I mean, this person in our society is looked at as a success. This person, we say, is, man, they, they have it all. They have achieved it all because all of their time is devoted to profession And they have no time for people. Solomon says, Though this person is praised in our culture, this person has failed because they've neglected what matters most, and that's people in relationships. Truth is, there's more people that we know like this than we care to admit, isn't there? Here's what's even more sobering than that. You may be this person. Solomon says, Choosing riches over relationships, choosing profession over people is vanity and an unhappy business. And you know why? Because of the fact that our eyes are never satisfied with riches. It's been said before, money makes a lousy lover. And that's true. Because money doesn't satisfy like relationships do. One of my favorite stories that I like to read around Christmas and like to watch is The Christmas Carol. And uh, for those of y'all that are familiar with the story, you know where I'm going here. This, This makes Solomon's point exactly. The key character in the story is Ebenezer Scrooge. And you remember what Dickens refers to him as, a miserable old sinner. And why? Because he pursues riches over relationships. He pursues prosperity and profession over people. Though his bank account is full, his house is empty. Now the great thing about this story is he gets a second chance, doesn't he? But many don't. For those of y'all familiar with the story, you remember that, that, that Scrooge had a partner. His name was Jacob Marley. And he visits Scrooge at the very beginning and he didn't have the second chance that Scrooge was given. And you remember, if you remember the story, Scrooge, he praises him. He said, you were always a great man of business, Jacob. You were a success. Remember what Jacob said? He said, business? Mankind was my business. Unfortunately, many in our Society are going to find out the hard way. They're going to find out too late that while they were so busy chasing the mighty dollar, life has passed them by. And when this happens, believe me when I say this, it's going to be too late, but they're going to wish more than anything they had prioritized people over profession, relationships over riches. For those of y'all here today that said, you know what, I'm going to relate to my wife or my husband when I get that next promotion. I'm going to spend time with my kids when I meet that next deadline. I will make time for family and friends once I get caught up and get ahead. Listen to me very closely and believe me when I say my toes have been sore this week as well. Life is going to continue to be fast paced. There's always going to be deadlines. There's always going to be promotions. But if you don't prioritize people over profession, life is going to pass you by. And you're going to miss some of the best years of your life with your family and your friends. Solomon's sharing here relationships or where it's at. Relationships are important. And he even illustrates this for us a little further in verses 9 through 12 and mentions to us some principles about friendship and why they're important. First, he shows us that friends make you a better worker. Friends make you a better worker. A lot of people, they disagree with this. They think, man, I'm better off by myself. I'll just do it myself. I can get it done. And and Solomon says in verse 9, two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. Solomon in this verse, he's warning against lonely success. He talks about the importance of working together and he says, in fact, there is good reward when you work together for a number of reasons. One, two can get a lot more done than one if you're working well together, right? So that's one reason you can be more productive. But you know what else? When we work together with one another, work helps us build community and build relationships with people and lasting friendships with one another. A while back, we had a work day here at the church, and I liked it for two reasons. One, we had a good number of people show up, and we got a lot done, and the church looked great. So it was a productive day because two are better than one, right? But another reason why I liked it is because I enjoyed watching the men and women spend time together and visit with one another and enjoy one another's company as they worked together. The church benefited, and I believe the people that came benefited as well. It's a great time of friendship. Some of you here this morning, <clears throat> maybe you've been coming here for a little while and you're, you're, you're upset a little bit because you, you, you don't feel like you've connected yet. With people, You don't feel like you've, you've gotten involved and made friends here. I know a great way for you to do it. Get involved in serving. Get involved. Get plugged in and serving. We've got a lot of things that we could have you do. We need help with the kids on Sunday morning. If you're a mom and want to help, we've got some great moms back there that you can work with, build relationships with as you serve. On Sunday nights with the youth, they could always use some extra hands there. And, and lawn care, we mentioned that uh, last week. Wendell and I would love to get you plugged in and involved. Get plugged in. And you know what's going to happen? Not only is our church going to benefit from that, but you will as well. Because in working together, service creates strong bonds between people. It's a great way to get to know people and get plugged in. So friendship makes you a better worker. Here's the second reason why friends are important. Friends are needed in times of trouble. Look at verses 10 through 12. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now what Solomon's saying here is, he's giving us three different scenarios that all make the same point. And the point is this, in times of trouble, friends give us strength. There are going to be times in your life when you're going to stumble and fall. That's inevitable. There are going to be times in your life when you feel all alone in the world like you're just left out in the cold. There are going to be times in life when you feel pulled apart by the difficult circumstances in life. And Solomon says, when this happens, you are going to need one another. You're going to need friends. You're going to need someone to reach down and help you stand again. You're going to need someone to bring you in from the cold and comfort you. You're going to need someone who's going to stand strong with you through the difficulties of life. But here's the challenge for us. Let's be honest. This is tough for us as Americans, isn't it? I mean, we have been taught in this country that it's me against the world. We are some of the most individualistic and and independent people in all the world. It's very tough for us to admit that we need one another, which is why this section of Scripture speaks so clearly to us, doesn't it? I mean, we naturally prioritize profession over people, don't we? Nine times out of ten. We naturally push one another away as we labor under the sun. But Solomon says, when the storms of life hit, you're going to need friends. Relationships are important. So choose relationships over riches. Third and finally, Put little value on popularity. <clears throat> Put little value on popularity. Some will say, well, if competition's not where it's at, if money not is not what it's all about, what about fame? What about making a name for myself? What about being popular? Surely that's worth working for, right? Well, Solomon talks about popularity in these last four verses here. And he does so by telling A parable. Look at what he says in verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though his own kingdom he had been poor. Sorry. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after win. This is Solomon's main point here. Popularity, though we value it, it's fleeting. And he explains this by telling this parable of a poor young man who at one time was in prison, who rose from the depths and surpassed the king. I mean, he went from the gutter to the pinnacle. And there were a lot of people on board with him. He was a popular guy. But over time, there came people along that didn't follow him, weren't on board with him, and his popularity, it faded. Solomon's point is this. Though we work so hard to be known, though we work so hard to be looked up to and idolized, uh, it's, it's all vanity because popularity is fleeting. Jason Alexander, who was, uh, played George Costanza on Seinfeld, was once asked to speak to the graduating class at Boston University's School of Arts. And an excerpt was taken from his speech and put into the New York Times. And I want to share how he begins the speech because this makes Solomon's point exactly. Look at what he says here. He says, I am famous. That's a large part of why I was asked to speak here today. It's a large part of the reason I received an honorary doctorate today when in fact I don't even have a bachelor's degree because I'm famous. I would like to think that it's also because I'm a pretty good guy and passionate about my craft and my business, but it's not. It's because I'm famous. And the funny thing about my fame is it's a complete accident. Fame, this thing that I have, is very rare, very strange, and very meaningless. It's a poor measure of success. Wow. Doesn't that make Solomon's point exactly? Fame, popularity, it's meaningless. A poor measure of success. And many of us, we know this to be true, right? And just watch sports. An athlete can go from being most valuable player to highly overrated in a matter of a few weeks. Those of y'all who are football fans, we saw this happen with Michael Vick this year, quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. One week, I heard an analyst say, man, he's a shoe-in for the MVP. A few weeks later, highly overrated. Popularity is fleeting. I know of people who work so hard and who have worked so hard to make a name for themselves in their business and in their community and they've done something or said something that have ticked people off and they've gone from being the hero to the goat in a short period of time. We see this in ministry as well, don't we? Some have come to the church and they think that a uh, pastor can do no wrong until he says or does something that's wrong and then he can't do anything that's right. Popularity, it's fleeting. Fame is fleeting. It's a poor measure of success. I recently heard a pastor say this. He compared, he he said, popularity and fame have the shelf life of cottage cheese. That'll give you a visual, won't it? But it's true, isn't it? Not only of popularity, but but of other things we've discussed as well. It's cottage cheese, they don't last, do they? We've seen achievements rot. We've seen wealth rot. We've seen popularity sour, just like cottage cheese. I mean, it's just souring on us. And this is the point Solomon comes back to time and time again. These things we spend the majority of our time pursuing. Those things we spend the majority of our time investing in. Those things are fleeting. They have the shelf life of cottage cheese. Take that with you this morning. That's why God goes to to great lengths to tell us in His Word time and time again, I created you for much, much more than that. I created you for more than short-lived achievements, for temporal riches and for a popularity that's fleeting. We allow ourselves to be settled for far less than what God intends. God created us to find our fulfillment and our joy and our happiness and our satisfaction and our meaning in him. This is why Christ came. Christ left riches, didn't he? For our sake, he became poor. And he gave his life for us so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God, so that we could experience fulfillment and joy, so that we could have an abundant life. Maybe you're here this morning and your toes are sore from this text. Maybe Solomon's words have cut deep and they describe you to a T. You've been clinging too tightly to your short-lived achievements. You've been pursuing temporal wealth and popularity that's fleeting. God wants you to know that He created you for much, much more than that. He created you for Himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your timeless word. Though like we talked about this morning, this was written over 3,000 years ago, it speaks to us right here and right now today. Father, forgive us for settling for far less than what you intend. Father, forgive us for clinging to those things that are fleeting and fading fast. Our short-lived achievements, temporal wealth, and a popularity that fades. Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning settling for these things because they do not know you, I pray you would do a great work in their heart and life right now, this morning. Show them you made them for more than that. I pray that you would do it today. Today would be the day they make Christ Lord and begin living for you. In Jesus' name, amen.